Father, we do believe that the name of Jesus is a powerful name. We do believe that in Jesus Christ, all the power of heaven is ours. We do believe that all the riches of heaven are ours. Lord, just as your disciples said, teach us how to pray. Lord, we pray, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to dwell more fully in the presence that you died and rose to give us. Teach us to live in the power that is released when we come to you in prayer and abide in you and you abide in us. Lord, forgive us for lukewarmness. Forgive us, Lord, for saying one thing and doing another. Forgive us for having good intentions but not following through. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to live. Teach us how to follow Jesus Christ. And may it not be said of us that we had some sort of outward form of religion but had no power within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So last week we had a walk through some potential orchards. Uh, hopefully your imagination started to run riot. And uh, we realized that the potential walk through those lovely shaded areas where you could smell apple blossom and apples was all contained within a little seed. That the kingdom of God has been given to us through that great seed, Jesus Christ, and planted in each one of us who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. And in that, the great unstoppable kingdom seed, Jesus Christ himself, is planted within us, and it has the potential to feed and save the whole world. It is utterly unstoppable. Our job is to look after it, to steward it well, not by uh, sort of keeping it, but actually by giving it away. That the kingdom comes as we give it away. Whatever we keep is all we have. Whatever we give, God multiplies. So if we're wondering, where is this abundant fruitfulness? Where is the multiplication? The answer lies in knowing what we have, in sowing what we have, and then celebrating what God can only do, celebrate God's increase. But you may have gone away from last week wondering, well, it's, it's, it's great to know, know that we have this kingdom seed within us, and, but how, how do I go about stewarding that? How, how do I grow in confidence and knowledge of what God has planted in me? Whenever I've come to that point of saying, Lord, I need you, I need forgiveness, I need to cleanse me, I need your life, I need your guidance, I need your vibrancy, I need your strength to follow in your footsteps. How, how do we grow in that confidence and knowledge? Well, Luke, the writer of a third of the New Testament, 
writes at the start of his gospel. He wrote two books. One is Luke, one is Acts. And he writes at the start of Luke 1, 4. He says, I'm writing so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke writes so that we may have this certainty, this confidence about the things we've been taught. So the short answer, you may have heard it many times before, the short answer of growing in confidence is first of all, read the Bible, read it every day, pray, and pray every day. At this point, I could go and sit down. It's not rocket science, but you and I know that actually it's one thing knowing that that is what feeds us and grows us and encourages us. It's quite another thing to live a pattern of discipline where we are dwelling in the presence of the Lord and we are releasing the power of the Lord. But Luke makes it clear. First of all, he tells us, I'm writing these things down, and if you read the things that I write, then you'll become more certain, I pray, says Luke, of the things you've been taught. So a good place to start is read Luke's gospel, read Acts of the Apostles, and then certainly go on and read everything else. One person once asked, how, how, do, I, how do I grow in faith? And the person responded, feed your faith and your doubts will starve. Are you, are you racked with doubt? Are you racked with second guessing? Are you hoping that one day that'll just dissipate or dissolve? The answer is simple. Read the Bible, ask God to speak to you and pray every day, pray constantly. Feed your faith and your doubts will starve. They'll not stand a chance. So Luke tells us about how to know the certainty of the things we've been taught. That's why he's writing. He wants us to read. But one of the amazing things, particularly that stands out, well, there are lots of things that stands out in Luke's writings. One of them is his emphasis on prayer. That perhaps more than any gospel writer, he's the one who keeps telling us about the little silent ways in which Jesus prays. And so the very beginning, we read about Jesus coming up out of the waters of baptism. And so often I've just pictured in my mind that at that point, the Holy Spirit comes down. But Luke tells us in chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and he prays. And the Spirit comes down. He brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain of transfiguration to pray, to spend some serious time in prayer. And in that place, they get a glimpse of what the glorified Christ looks like as he just shines before them. And so they learn how to pray. And so in the middle of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11, the, the penny has dropped and the disciples realize he's healing all these people. He's raising the dead. Miracles are happening. He seems to have supernatural strength. He, can, he just seems to keep going. How does he keep doing it? And eventually the penny drops. It's because he keeps going off to pray. What does he do when he goes off by himself early in the morning? What does he do when he seeks solitude? Well, we'd better find out because that is where the secret to his power lies. 
And so they say to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them this short prayer that can be prayed in about 28 seconds. Our Father who art in heaven. And we learn the secret of all Jesus' power because it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, address your Father as your heavenly Father. And then he shows the secret to all his ministry. He says, just keep calling heaven down on earth. In every situation, just keep calling heaven down on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just keep calling heaven down on earth. That's what Jesus told his disciples to pray. That's what we do. When we encounter doubt or need or hunger or thirst or brokenness or depression or sickness or death or bereavement, no matter what it is, we just keep calling heaven down on earth. No matter what it is, world poverty, brain tumors, MS, we just keep calling heaven down on earth. That's our job. It's like being with satellite dishes or TV antenna. We, we, we're, just, we're here to pick up the message and the power and just keep bringing heaven down on earth. That's our job. So Luke tells us that's how we can know what we have by entering into a place of prayer. And so by the time we come to the start of Acts, we start to see how the disciples do the same thing that Jesus did. And so before the day of Pentecost, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Do we want to see more empowerment by the Holy Spirit? Then we all join together constantly in prayer. Luke tells us what to do. How do we move more powerfully? We pray and we pray together. After the day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All through Acts of the Apostles, they pray. They pray in prison. They pray in homes. They pray on the beach. They pray in the temple. They talk to Jesus everywhere about everything. That is the secret to living the powerful life of Christ. It's praying about everything, everywhere, listening and talking constantly to God, always seeking to be in that place of constant connectivity with God. I know sometimes I've used this illustration of this connectedness of salvation with God, and it's he appoints us to bear fruit that will last. And, and we think that we have dialed God, but actually we discover that he's the one who has dialed us and we eventually pick up the receiver. It's a bit like one of those 999 calls. You can't hang up. There's always connection. But you and I know that quite often we put the receiver down. The connection is not broken. We just don't have it up to our ear. We're just not hearing the voice of the Father. And so gradually our confidence and our power dissipates because we're, we, we know that we're not listening to the Father's voice as children of God. Prayer is us picking up the receiver and finding that God is still on the line. He's always on the line. 
He never leaves the other end of the phone. He is always there. He is always more ready to listen than we are to speak. But so often we put the receiver down. So Luke weaves into his whole gospel, into the Acts of the Apostles. He shows us where the secret to all the power lies. It lies in the place of prayer. Praying everywhere. Praying alone, praying for long periods of time. Jesus praying short prayers, boom, be healed, rise. Praying together. That's the secret to the power in the kingdom of God. That's how we know what we have. We grow in confidence, we grow in strength. We grow in an awareness of God who is ever present in Jesus Christ whenever we've asked him to come into our lives. Again and again, I'm reminded that without Jesus Christ, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. It's actually one of the most powerful and liberating things that God reminds me of, that actually without Him, I am completely empty-handed. The secret to Christian discipleship is realizing that actually, as we go out into the world in need, that we go out with empty hands. And the more that we realize that that's a good thing, the more powerful we become. So listen to Jesus speaking to his disciples about the essence of, of giving away what he has given us. He sends out his disciples. This is to go out to change the world. He says, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal those who are ill. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and no extra shirt. Does that sound like a, la a wise leadership decision? I want you 12 guys to go out and change the world. Don't bring a staff. If you're attacked by wild animals, the staff would protect you, or attacked by robbers. Jesus said, bring nothing for your protection. You're going to go on a long journey. Bring no food. You're going to places where you know nobody. Bring no money. Bring no bag in case you're tempted to put something in the bag. What's Jesus saying to them? The most powerful thing you can do is realize your hands are empty. Because the real treasure is in here. The real power is in here. How often do we rely on the externals when the real power is in here? It's the power of Jesus Christ. So when we do that, then we know what we have and we sow what we have because the kingdom comes when we give it away. That's how multiplication happens. And so Luke tells the story in Acts. He tells the story of Jesus and Luke, and then he tells us in Acts about, principally about two men. 
He tells us about Peter and he tells us about Paul. That's Luke's main focus. He tells us about Peter, the man who, whenever he was quizzed by a servant girl in the temple courts on the night before Jesus died, said, I have never met the guy. I don't know him. I'm nothing to do with him. And then a short period of time later, He's standing in front of the 70 religious leaders in the temple called the Sanhedrin, and he knows his life's at risk. And he stands in front of them and he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In Acts 9, he meets a paralyzed man called Aeneas, and Peter says to him, Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. How did the change happen? The change happened because the Holy Spirit was planted inside Peter and it began to grow unstoppably. How? Because he lived a life where he prayed and he obeyed. And so by the time we come to Acts chapter 11, where we had our reading today, and Peter's wondering, I wonder what the Lord wants to do in my life. So what does he do? He goes up onto the roof of the house, and he engages in extended time of prayer. He wants to know what's next, so he, he goes to be alone with the Lord. And as he prays, he gets hungry, and he falls into a trance-like state. And he has this vision of this sheep coming down and these animals that are pro uh, prohibited for Jews to eat. And a voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no way. doesn't say no way, but he says effectively, no way. I've never eaten anything like that. I'm not going to start now. And God says to him, don't call anything I've made impure. And that happens three times. And just as he does that, men arrive at the gate. They don't come in probably because they know that Peter's a Jew and they don't want to, they don't want to put him in a difficult situation they, and they call out. And whether Peter hears them or not, we don't know, but he, he has a prompt from the Holy Spirit to go down and he goes towards this Roman soldier and these two all strangers and he says to them, because the courage of the Holy Spirit is within him, they maybe have come to arrest him, they maybe come to kill him, he doesn't know and he walks up to them boldly and he says, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? He's emboldened by the Holy Spirit. He's been praying for the Lord to do whatever he wants. It may be prison he's going to. He doesn't know. It's quite likely. And yet he walks out and says, I'm the man you're looking for. Now, where do we go from here? Peter knew how to get into the pattern of, of praying and obeying. And so he goes to Cornelius' house and he preaches the gospel. And amazingly, we shouldn't say amazingly, but the Holy Spirit, boom, falls on all the people and they're Gentiles and they praise God and they speak in tongues and it's evident that the Spirit comes in power and then later on, well, been, they come to faith in Christ, they're baptized and then a while later, Peter goes up to Jerusalem and our reading today documents how he faced criticism when he went up there. And the people there, the disciples who were Jewish Christians, said to him, Peter, how could you? How could you go into the house of non-Jews and eat with them? How could you do this? And Peter starts at the beginning and he tells them the story. 
And he tells them about the prayer and the trance and the visions and God speaking and the prompting and the going and the preaching and the falling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism. And one of the things that amazes me is this. The men who were questioning him, who were Christian Jews, they didn't question the trance. They didn't question God speaking to him. They didn't question the vision. They didn't question the prompting of the Holy Spirit. They didn't question the fact that Cornelius the Roman centurion too had had a vision and sent these men to Joppa. They didn't question the power of the gospel that Peter preached. They didn't question the Holy Spirit falling on the meeting. They didn't question them speaking in tongues and being moved powerfully by the Holy Spirit. They didn't question all of that. What they questioned was this. They're Gentiles, Peter. How could you eat with Gentiles? How could this happen to Gentiles? But when Peter told them the story, they realized this has got to be the Holy Spirit. This has got to be Jesus Christ. And so they just celebrated and said, well, God's done this. We, we, we can't argue with God because this story shows us the power of God and the way God works. The early Christians had no problem whatsoever believing that God acted in trances and visions and speakings and promptings and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And every time they saw it, they realized God is powerfully at work. So if we are to know what we have and sow what we have, then we too live a life where we go out into the world empty-handed to give away all that God has given us. The secret to Paul's ministry and Peter's ministry is that they go out into the world empty to give away plenty. That's what Christianity is all about. We go out empty to give away plenty. And the more empty we, we sense ourselves in terms of resources, physical resources to be, the potentially more powerful we are. Because whenever we meet sorrow or sickness or brokenness or hopelessness or need or death, we know that we of ourselves can do absolutely nothing. But we know someone who can do absolutely anything. And so the real place of power comes whenever we are guided by the Holy Spirit in prayer as to where to go to and how to sow, where to go and what to do. And as we go out, and as Peter did, as he encountered a paralyzed man or a dead girl or as he encountered opposition, I imagine under his breath, he's saying, Lord, this is a really good opportunity for you to show up. This is a really good opportunity for you to show your power. And so whenever you and I come up against those situations, like someone this morning telling me about someone who is terribly ill, just being diagnosed with a tumor in their brain, our response as Christians should be, 
God, this is a really good opportunity for you to show your glory. So often our response says, oh my goodness, there's nothing we can do. But we come up against injustice or poverty or unbelief. The response for us by the Holy Spirit should be this in the midst of the brokenness is a perfect opportunity for God to show up in power. And so we know what we have and we sow what we have and we pray the prayer of faith and we pray the prayer of faith and we share the hope of Jesus Christ and we know that although we can do nothing, God can do absolutely everything. And then we just celebrate and we make sure we give glory to God, just as those who were criticizing Peter give glory to God. When he told the story and they'd celebrate the baptisms at Cornelius' house, and Peter explained what had happened, and the Bible tells us they just praise God. And they recognize God was in this. And that's how the kingdom has grown since the very beginning. It's a simple pattern that we've been given to follow. We know what we have, we sow what we have, and then we just celebrate when we see what God does. And that's the way the Christian faith works. That's how the kingdom grows. And constantly we go out and find ourselves in those situations where we just see this wall of need. And in that place, there's a song we sometimes sing, and it's, it's it's, it was inspired by that moment. It's called Raise a Hallelujah. And it was written by the guy who wrote it. I can't remember his name, but it was raised by a guy who wrote it because there was a young boy in the congregation of the church who had looked as if he was going to die. He had a brain tumor. And they were praying for him for weeks and months. And one evening a call came through and saying, we don't think this young man's going to make it. And, the, and the, this songwriter said, my initial response was just complete deflation. And he said, then from somewhere this song arose. I raise a hallelujah. That's what we do when we encounter need whether it's world poverty or hunger or corrupt governments or sickness or people who don't believe or whatever it happens to be. We just raise a hallelujah. Say, Lord, we, we don't believe that that's the way you want it to be. So I'm not going to let my head go down. I'm not going to throw a pity party. I'm not going to say nothing can be done. Because although my hands are empty, I know that you can give anything and everything to address this situation. Shall we stand together? As always, there's prayer ministry afterwards. Perhaps this morning, You've come and you're unwell, you're ill. Pray. The prayer team would love to pray with you. Perhaps there's someone known to you. Have them pray. Perhaps you're looking for breakthrough in your life. Pray. Perhaps you feel deflated or depressed or discouraged. Pray. Perhaps you're wondering what the future holds, where to go from here. Pray.
pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for this amazing kingdom seed that you have planted in, in us. Lord, help us to become increasingly aware of all you've given us. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit here today. Lord, we pray you'd pour out healing. Lord, I just thank you again that this morning in the coffee time, I heard of an answer to prayer after our prayer time the week before of a miraculous breakthrough after months of, of distress. So Lord, today again, when faced with whatever it is, Lord, we come before you in faith and hope and we say, Lord, change the situation, change it for good, bring hope, bring healing, bring breakthrough, bring resources, whatever it happens to be, guidance, finances, job, healing of relationships, whatever it happens to be, sharing faith, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to you empty-handed, and that's exactly the right way to come. That's exactly the right place to start when we realize we have nothing to give. And in that place, power happens and breakthrough happens when we rely not on ourselves, but on you. We look to you this morning, Lord, and we pray, bring it on. Bring on healing. Bring on hope. Bring on fruitfulness. Bring on life. Bring on conversion. Bring it all on, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.